The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Gene Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids' parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicflyersnz.com The new series on Aviation Extended, produced in collaboration with the Wings Over New Zealand podcast, is all about RAF Coastal Command in World War II. He said, look, just give me 40. 40 is what I need which is a tiny amount, really, uh, you know, to give you a perspective of just um, how many, in relative terms, how few 40 is. We, the Americans, lose uh, 53 liberators. So just on one raid, we're losing more than actually Jubilee saying, listen, give me these and I can win the Battle of the Atlantic. They really were, I think, the most vital uh, long-range aircraft that Coast Command employed in the Second World War. read in post-war accounts of the incident it was hopelessly undergun and it kind of annoys me because when it entered service and okay they only had two three or three machine guns but so did the frontline fighters of the RAF at that time. For the Battle of the Atlantic I didn't think there could be any equivocation about the, the importance of Coastal Command's role. Dial into the series on Aviation Extended. That's aviation-extended.co.uk or go to your podcast player and look us up. Eight episodes, 12 international speakers, 10 hours and lots of aircraft. Strategy, crews, the Battle of the Atlantic, strike wings, the fleet air arm, and, did I say, there's bow fighters as well. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota, and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome. 
to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Today, I'd like to welcome Michael Williams, squadron leader Michael Williams, to the show. Uh, hi, Mike. Hey, Don. Good. Now, you're the commanding officer of the new Air Force Heritage Flight. Um, the flight commander, yeah. Flight commander, yes. Uh, so, um, let's let's start off. Uh, well, we, we're going to talk about the flight, but let's start off just talking about you for a start. What's your background, and how did you get into the Air Force and aviation? Uh, I was one of those typical aviation nuts kids that just can't remember wanting to do anything else. Um, growing up, everything was about airplanes. Um, okay. Left school, did the typical thing, and pumped gas for a couple of years to get money to go flying. Yeah. And I um I went through Massey University, did the degree program there and was an instructor for a bit and then uh joined the Air Force. Uh, so you, you you were um you didn't go straight from school, you were you were a few years older when you joined. Yeah. So I was uh, nearly twenty five when I joined the Air Force. Okay. Wow. Gosh that would be like an old man in the in the system, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't too bad at the time. I, I was definitely the oldest on the course, but um, uh, I, I think um, the ages of people coming through, if anything, have probably increased slightly. We've had okay. uh, people a lot older than 25 coming in. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so where did you grow up? Where, where, where are you originally from? I'm from Northland, from a small sheep farm north of Dargaval in a place called Ahihiwi, which is um, probably not on most people's maps. No, but so you you probably didn't have a lot of aviation going on around there? Uh, not a lot, no. No, there was uh, Dargaval Aero Club. Went down and had my first flight there as a kid. Yeah. And with the local explorers club, but as far as uh, Warbird Aviation in particular, you know, that was several hours away in Auckland. Okay. Okay, so, so um, you mentioned warbirds there. That's uh, something that you've gotten into over the years, is the the vintage stuff, and uh, the warbird stuff. Um, yeah. I know that you've uh, you've done a rating on the P forty. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't thank um, Liz Needham and Frank Parker enough for that. It was through a warbirds over Wanaka scholarship, and um, that scholarship plus um, the generosity of Frank and Liz really got me through that. Yeah, fantastic. And of course, he also flew uh, with the vintage aviator for a while on the on the World War One machines as well. Yeah, in fact, we flew together. You were in the RE8, and I was in yeah. the SC5. Yeah, flying. exactly. Yeah, yeah, you were my wingman. <laughs> that was pretty damn cool. That was that was, um, that was really special. It's, uh, amazing machines. Yeah, absolutely. The B2 and the UC5, which is amazing. Yeah. RE8 and, and whatnot. It was, yes, that's, um, New Zealand's very lucky to have that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so in the Air Force, uh, you ended up uh, on Orion's, flying Orion's. So, am I right? Yeah, probably um, the, yeah. <laughs> in the game way behind me there. But yeah, I was flying the Orion. Um, I was a captain on that, finished flying that on in 2008, end of 2008. Um, came back to Bahakia and did the flying instructors course, and then um, took year a year's leave without pay. Went out to Australia, managed a Tiger Moth Joy Flight company. We had a couple of Tiger Moths and a Yak 52 over in 
point cook. Oh, right. Came back, um, struck it on the, the King Air, and then I uh, was lucky enough to head over to Australia on an exchange to um, instruct on the PC-9. And, okay. Um, came back in 2015, have been on the Texan ever since. Okay, so the PC-9 would have been a really good lead into the Texan instructing. Yeah, yeah, the PC-9 was great. I mean, it's it's an old aeroplane now. It's, um, it's why the Australians have, have swapped them out for the 21, but yeah. Um, the the PC9 it's great. If you had the compared the PC9 with the Texan, if it was a Friday afternoon and you want to go for a fang, you'd, you'd take the PC9 and hang it off the prop. Yeah. But uh, if you're going to go to work and, and work in an airplane every day, then the Texan hands down is okay. Far far better. But it's it's the current generation the Texan. It's got all the all the mod cons, whereas yeah. the PC9 was. Uh, the, the ones that the that the RAF had that was a, a, a mid 1980s design. Right, right. So there was no glass cockpit in the or anything like that. Um, some of the displays were CRT, but the um, uh, glass would be stretching it. I'd say. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so, um, as an instructor at a hockey with the Texan, uh, you also had a sideline job with the um, historic flight as. The flight commander of the historic flight. How did, yeah, how did so, that happen? Uh, well, I've always, since I've joined the Air Force, been putting in my annual reviews that um, you know, I want to get involved in the historic flight because that's that's um, what I like to do. Yeah. Um, and was lucky enough to get involved with that. Uh, Stuart Anderson was the flight commander at the time. Yeah. And um, I I previously. Um, got a tight rating in the harbour in Rex Burton's machine. I saved yep. up my money over a couple of years and went and did a rating in, in that machine. So I came to Historic Flight with a Harvard rating, but the um, the ability to go and fly the Harvard consistently and, and, and not worry about all the dollars rolling out the exhaust meant that uh, it wasn't until I flew it with the Historic Flight that I could really concentrate on, on betting in the, on, in the skills with the thing. Right, right. Um, and then um, about a year or so after that, I was lucky enough to be made the flight commander of the historic flight. Cool. Uh, and, of course, the historic flight had the Harvard uh, NZ-1015, and it also has a, a Tiger Moth, which hasn't flown for a long time. Um, uh, so did you did you fly the, the Tiger in that, or, or was it already grounded before um, so yeah i was um flying the tiger moth as well uh, the last flew at the end of 2018 yeah and um, before we we stopped everything with the historic flight just to take stock and of what we were doing and what we were going to do but um tiger 62 it's just been um it had a full iran so completely rebagged the airplane zero time engine um we spent a lot of time and effort on that airplane, just as we had with Harbour One Five at the same time. Yeah. Um, and we were flying the, the Tiger Moth. It's it's fully serviceable now. It's um, we even gave it a, a fresh C of A uh, within the last year. Okay. It's um, sitting in the hangar at, at the moment, um, semi-inhibited, just as we sort out the paperwork to get that thing going again. Okay. It's basically just waiting for a test flight and back into service. Uh, yes, some paperwork first, just yeah. organisationally, and then uh, it's it's ready to go. 
we've um, Tiger Moth Purist won't like it, but we've brought a tail wheel and brakes for it as well. Because okay. with the P8 coming to Ahakia, uh, the infrastructure at Ahakia is getting less and less conducive to a tail skid airplane. So right. we've had to uh, uh, buy the tail wheel kit and, and the brakes. So that's ready to go on as well as soon as we okay. can get, the, get the airplane as a whole going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Harvard, uh, you had an incident in the Harvard. Can you talk us through what happened there? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, had a bit of an incident. Monday, August 13, 17 minutes past 10 in the morning. <laughs> um, embedded in the mine. Yeah. Um, the, um, the the incident itself it was it was quite interesting from a from a human factors perspective. Is um, well, I was in the front taking a wings course student for a fly. We'd just taken off and we were um, climbed out of a haki level loft just short of Blake House, the north of a haki there. Yeah, and um, there was a, an almighty bang from the front and um, some quite severe vibration and then um, so I, I turned back towards a haki and and during that turn itself there was an, an even bigger one which at, at the time I described as like an explosion in the front and wow. um, the the bang was was so big the the engine cowling jumped on its mounts as it got impacted by one of the cylinder heads as it was um Retiring from its job has been attached to the cylinder, <laughs> and it, it just got worse from there. And um, it was the middle of winter. There was it had, there'd been a lot of rain. Um, I knew we were faced with probably forced landing the thing, but the engine was still giving power. Yeah. Um, and all of the fields that we had were completely sodden. And the one field I did know that was what the condition was was the Haki, and of course that was just over there. You know, it was. About four miles away. Yeah. So the engine was still giving power. So I um, decided to see if we could make a hark here, but on the proviso that we'd never be without a forced landing option. Um, and so we did that. We basically went from um, one field that we could force land in to the next one to the next one as we made our back, way back towards a hark here. But um, as we were doing that, more. Um, Conrods failed along the way, so the the engine just got worse and worse, and okay. the um, the canopy was completely covered with oil, so we couldn't see out. You, you can crack the canopy in the harbour a little bit, so I had a few inches just on the side as I cracked it open. Because any more than that, then the, the oil was um, going to come in over me as well. Yeah. So. Um, really reduced visibility. The vibration was so bad that the instrument panel was um, shaking violently on, on the on its mounts and you couldn't read anything. So the L, basic instruments like altitude, airspeed, everything was completely illegible. Uh, the, the noise was horrendous. The shaking um, caused the, the fire extinguisher to break its mounts. The, Ignition switch was, which in the harbour is a big lump of steel and a steel shaft that that snapped off. Wow! Um, and and actually impacted my helmet 
there's a there's a dent in the visor on my alpha helmet immediately in front of my eye. Wow. So um, when it comes to helmets, I'm I'm a fan. Yes. But, um, that was a hell of an impact. Um, there was as time went on, you know, we, we got smoke and we couldn't talk to each other, and the, you, it struck me that, which gets back to my point about the human factors side of it. As time went on, things got really worse, much worse, and there was a, the realization that in the next two minutes, um, we were either going to be um, absolutely fine, walking away, no problem, yeah, through to the absolute worst case. Um, and the uh, I'd heard previously that when things are really bad, the, the human brain tries to talk you out of it, it tries to say, oh, no, you're fine, it'll be right. Yeah. And the worse things get, the more pronounced this is. And during the incident, as all these things started to add up, and it was getting worse and worse, the effect was so pronounced that um, I actually noticed it in myself. Wow. And which then made me recognise really just how how bad this was. Yeah. This um, this human factors phenomenon. But eventually, we um, we almost made it back to Ahakia, Got to the the last point of committal for the last field before Ahakia and I by then had nothing else to do but just stare at the threshold of, of runway 09 and I noticed that it was just slowly starting to move up in the windshield which meant the aim point was going, going short. Yeah. So I couldn't handle on heart so I was going to make Ahakia so at that stage I um, committed into the field on, on the boundary of Ahakia. Yeah. Um, and shutting the engine down, the last Conrod let go, which we think was the, the master rod was the last one to go since it was, it was still firing. So um, we then landed wheels up in the field um, just across the road from the basic miner's house. Wow. <laughs> and we, we land wheels up when you're not on the airfield because um, that's the safest way to do it because you especially in winter, which we were, you put the wheels down, you land in a field, the wheels dig in, and next thing you know, you're, you're flipped onto your lid. Yes. And things are much worse. But So the fact that the last Conrad let go as we made that decision to commit to the field means it's, there's absolutely um, no chance in my mind that we would have made it back to a hark here. And, of course, there's that big um, bank that leads up to the threshold of zero nine. So. Right, right. But amazingly compelling, this is another one of the human factors things, to have the the threshold of the runway that you that you know, and it's it's just there. It's and your brain goes, Yeah, you'll be fine. Look at the runway, it's it's, it's just there. Yeah. You, you'll be all right. And yet you, you need to um disregard that and then commit in, into the field. And I remember um Johnny Barger. The vintage aviator, he um, was telling me that you've you've just got to make a decision. So um, doesn't matter if it's the the, the best solution in, in hindsight after the event. Yeah. But you must make a decision because if you don't make a decision, then that whole anchor cycle, aviate, navigate, communicate, administrate, that barely goes beyond aviate. Everything else hangs on making a decision. Right. Um. So it, it was a Certainly, 
an interesting event to me away for a couple of nights. The, we're slid on the ground and I, as we're sliding along, I'm thinking this is not as bad as what I thought it could have been. And it was just like coming down off the plane in the speedboat. Right? Right. Um, and, and the aeroplane's fine. We've done a survey on the... So let me just cut it out. Um, we've done a survey on the aeroplane, but haven't done any work to it. It's um, the, the airframe's fine. It needs a, an engine and a propeller and two new instrument panels because they were shaking the bits. Yeah. Um, but we, we haven't done any work to the aircraft. Uh, it's carefully stored at the moment at a Um We're going to get the heritage flight up and running first and then readdress what we do with Harvard 1-5 because it's, it's a very important aircraft to us. And it's a lot of sense in flying our, our own Harvard if we can. But, um, we'll, we'll get the flight running and, and then uh, we'll have a look and see what we're going to do with, with Harvard 1-5. I, I always find it remarkable thinking about how you know, you force landed wheels up in the field and, and yet the airframe is fine. I mean, you must have done the most remarkable force landing, particularly since you couldn't really see what you were doing. Oh, it's, uh, there's a bit of luck in there as well because we, um, of course, with the canopy open ever so slightly, I couldn't see out the front. So I was doing a curving approach to um, the corner of, of the field because I, I could um, keep that within view out yeah. of sight. So I couldn't fly a final, so I just did a continuous turn to that point. Yeah. But right at the very end, I had to then roll out wings level and, and just go straight ahead. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, we, we, we might have actually just pulled this off. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how fast we were going because the airspeed indicator wasn't um, legible. But as I flared, I thought, oh, that, that feels about right. Yeah. Um, but there was no float. And, I, and that um, surprised me at the time. We just... We rolled out, we flared, it felt normal, but then we we're on the ground just sliding along. And it wasn't until after we got out that realised that um, we'd actually snagged the top couple of wires on a, on a sheep fence, a really old fence with the tar wheel. Oh, wow. And so um, we'd basically done an arrested landing like on an aircraft carrier <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> oh, wow. And I had no idea the fence was there because so I just, just couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah. There was um, there was the fence. There was a, a pump shed, a bank, cow shed, a row of trees, and and all of that we just couldn't see it. But we knew that the the flight path to the aim point was clear. We knew we weren't going to hit anything because I, I could see that. Yeah. But everything else uh, was com- completely blacked out. So it was purely by luck we snagged a couple of wires on the fence, and the strainer posts were old and rotten, so they snapped off quite easily and it was really just a, a gently arrested landing <laughs> so that, that helped a lot and because it was so wet in the middle of winter it, it surfed along like a boat splash muddle over the airplane and, and that helped protect the airframe as well it literally didn't scratch the paint underneath the field was that that soft sorry which was good because we've we'd only just repainted the thing. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, the paint. yeah, they paint gorgeous too. It's such a nice job on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was nice. Yeah. So, how about the poor fella in the back, your your student? How did he cope with that? Um, 
yeah, so um, that would have been absolutely terrifying. At least I was busy in the front, but um, I, I tried talking to him on the way down, but it was the noise was just so loud, you, you couldn't hear anything. Yeah, and he um, he said that never in the history of human flight has anyone been strapped to a seat so tight as what he was. <laughs> <laughs> and in the back, you know, the the the, the shaking so violent the the large um compass that's in his cop it's got a verge ring and everything on the top yeah. that that flew apart the verge ring bounced everywhere the wow. thing bounced down to the bottom in the back there that was in the rudder cables the um the fuselage was flexing so much that the canopy rail that um, started to unscrew itself from the from the airframe so it would have been absolutely terrifying and the the, the noise of the of the canopy vibrating in the back was was horrendous holy hell i, I didn't realize it was that bad i mean that's amazing yeah well it, and, and that played on my mind you know and i think the obvious thing is did i do the right thing with trying to make a hockey by keeping it running could i've shut it down just right at the start and you know i wouldn't have had those problems but the fact was the engine was still giving power and we were still functioning to um, be able to fly the, the aircraft and Ahaki was, was just there and that was the known surface. Everywhere else was, was a bog. Um, and we never left ourselves without a force landing option. But I often thought to myself, did we do the right thing by just not immediately shutting it down and landing in the field? But, you, but then again, the one yeah, then again, you might have hit something in, in, a, in a field exactly that, that you you know you didn't see as well so um yeah. you, you both walked away and the aircraft can be rebuilt and um yeah. fly again so you know you did the right thing yeah well i mean the, the outcome would suggest that as well but it was just a really demanding situation that we put ourselves in yeah well it's, it's yeah. not you it's not your everyday flight so you know you did well and of course uh, um afterwards you were even given an award for the uh the airmanship, weren't you? Uh, yeah, 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 that, that, was, that was a nice touch, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, Defence Meritorious Service Medal out of that one, so. yeah, much deserved. Good way to close it off, I think. Yeah, now, um, uh, because of the, the loss of the uh Harvard from the historic flight, you then had to start to rethink about where the history of the Air Force was going to go. In terms of the flight, so yeah, so we um, that was the catalyst that made us just stop and I think, what are we doing here, and do we need to be doing this? And if we are going to keep doing it, how should we do it? So an external review was commissioned, and um, several months of work went in, and the result was that um, the NZDF. Uh, remained committed to um, heritage aviation, but that um, we need to get much more utility out of it. So basically, just do it properly. Yeah. So the historic flight was was great. You know, it gave valuable service over a long time. But when you look at it, it was flying two very important training types. So the Tiger Moth and the Harbour. The sixty six came through for period as well back in 87 I think it was yeah. 
But um, you turn out to an air show and there's plenty of Harvards and there's plenty of Tiger Moths. All important aircraft, don't get me wrong. You know, yeah. they, um, I love them both. But, um, but for the NZDF to be spending public money on that, you know, is, is that really the, the best thing? So um, the Air Force decided we're going to stay in, in the game, um, but we're going to do it properly with, with aircraft that represent the operational history of the Air Force. So things like your um, Corsair, Kitty Hawk, um, Avenger, Spitfire, Mustang, that sort of thing. Um, so that's the, in particular the, um, the the Spitfire and Corsair and, and the Kitty Hawk and Avenger. They represent the operational heritage of, of the RNZAF. Yeah. So within in those aircraft, RNZAF people were fighting. They were they were doing the job, and that job is still the same now as what it was back then. We may not be doing it uh, all the time, but that's the role of the NZDF. And, but of course, within that, you'll know that aircraft like the Spitfire, the RNZF never historically operated a Spitfire. So then there lies the shift from a historic flight into a heritage flight. So whilst historically the Air Force never operated the Spitfire, the New Zealand squadron in the Royal Air Force is definitely a part of our military aviation heritage. Yep. So hence the shift to the, to the heritage flight. So the review recommended, uh, yes, do it as a heritage flight, do it properly with aircraft that um, represent the operational history of the Air Force and do it in aircraft that also grab the public's attention because we need to be outward focused. So use an aeroplane that when it flies past the air show or fly past or whatever, the public are going to stop and they're going to go, wow, look at that. That's that grabs their attention. Um, and and then you can break down the, the uh, interaction in pretty much four different areas. You can look at a uh, first area high-level um, diplomacy, defence diplomacy internationally. So this is how you demonstrate to your allies and, and partners and, and friends um, the importance of that you place on the shared sacrifice. So, uh, for example, World War II, we were fighting in the Pacific and we were fighting with, with our friends and allies, and that's still important to us. So internationally, we can show that importance by investing in, in the heritage flight. The, the second area that you can look at is New Zealand's heritage. So the interaction with the New Zealand public that don't necessarily know anything about aviation or in particular their, their military aviation heritage, but they're New Zealanders. So this is part of their heritage. And um, of course, arts and heritage is a big thing at the moment as well. So it's, it's quite topical, but this is how you can Engage with the New Zealand public who don't know about aircraft, especially, and say this is this is your heritage. Yep. And from that as well, they will uh, potentially think, oh, aviation—that's that's pretty interesting. Maybe I'll look at a career in there, and that's where the Air Force can can step in and say, oh, well, yeah, we've got a few jobs going. You can get people in, in the Air Force that way. The third group. Uh, that we interact with is the New Zealand aviation scene, the aviation public. And they know about the Air Force, they know about the aircraft. So, And that's not going to change. 
So with this group, we can demonstrate the professionalism of how we go about our business in the RNZF. And maybe that will solidify someone's thoughts about joining the RNZF. Um, so again, there's, there's benefits to the RNZF. Yeah. And the, the fourth and final area that we get benefit out of the flight is internally with, within the RNZF and the NZDF. This is uh, the, a way of uh, underscoring our core values, which is are still the same now as, as what they were. And if you can imagine a, um, the, the Avenger, for example, um, that's painted up as uh, 1-8 Plonky. And the original crew of serving RNZAF personnel was shot down and killed over a ball uh, in World War II in the original Plonky. So th this represents the core value to currently serving RNZF members. Previous RNZF people were out doing the job, and they were they were killed doing it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, that represents a lot to us. Uh, so those are, those are the four areas: you know, internationally, New Zealand public, aviation community, and internally within ourselves as well. The um. The main aircraft, uh, operational aircraft that are flying with the flight at the moment are the Spitfire and the Avenger, which both belong to Brendan Deere. Um, and Brendan's aircraft have, for a long time now, uh, cooperated with the Air Force. They've done flypaths for the Air Force, and they're flown by Air Force personnel who are still flying now with the Heritage flight. So it's not exactly a new thing, but the, the, the possibly the newer thing is that you're now mixing those aircraft with the Texans who are the modern day yeah. current aircraft and uh, that I think that adds a really neat element where you've got the old and the new together, the, the current and the history, the heritage and um, yeah, It links with the old, old with the new, so the past yeah. with the present and the future. Yeah, exactly and the, you're right with the future because the Texan is the trainer that's the that's where all the future pilots come from um, yeah. And of course, the um, the other thing about it is that you're taking it out around New Zealand, uh, taking it on the road. And mm. you know, usually we only see these things at, at um, you know these days. We, we've only really seen these things happening at air shows. But uh, last Sunday on the third of April, uh, you had your first big outing where um, you guys flew the, the flight of four aircraft from Ohakia down to Christchurch. Um, did, yeah. And and that was that was brilliant. I mean I, I followed you guys most of the way. I, I think I just just south of Ohakia I followed you all the way down on um flight radar and I followed you all the way back up again on flight radar. Um, I was in the wrong part of the country to actually see you guys but what was brilliant yeah. was watching on Facebook uh all of the wonderful clips and photographs of you guys flying over towns all the way down and all the way back up again and yeah. the excitement that it, that's generated is fantastic yeah and that kind of illustrated um the concept really there was um the air force heritage flight has their own facebook page and, and encourage anyone to go and um follow that yeah me too but i put one post on that page which had the root of what we were going to do to Christchurch and back. And within a day, um, we had, um, I think it was 800 shares and 
yeah. at 700 likes. And a couple of days after that, we're 1,300 shares. And just on one post, we had 1,000 comments. And and so the interest that it garnered is um, for our first event with a brand new page and just putting the feelers out there, you know, this is, this is what we're doing now. And, and the public uh, really got on board, which was which was great to see. And it was obvious that many of those commenting were not aviation people. And so this is the New Zealanders learning about their military aviation heritage. That's perfect. And and those that did know about it, about flying, they were pretty excited as well. So it was, it kind of, it was good to see. It was, it was reassuring to see the, the concept. We might, might have something here. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I run the New Zealand Air, the New Zealand Air Show archive um, as part of my website, and over the years when I've been researching for what happened back in the past with uh, with Air Force um, teams and things like that, they, they used to take the uh, uh, the originally they were the CFS Harvard team, and then it became the Red Checkers, and um, they, them, and also Vampires and a Bristol freighter would go with them, and they would go around yeah, the centres and do all the do all the different fly pass over towns as they went from city to city, where they'd refuel and they might do a bit of a display. Uh, and um, you know that that um, to me that I was thinking, well, that they used to show the flag, and the Air Force doesn't really do that anymore. You're lucky if you ever see the Air Force anywhere of your, your little rural town, you know. Um, yeah, well, we'd like to, but it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is, you, you guys are you guys are bringing it back. I mean, it's. Uh, the, I think the last time that anything like this happened was would be 1990. I think it was when the Kiwi Red Skyhawks went round all the districts and towns, and you know they right. flew yep. flew around the country. And I I can't think of anything else since then. That's may, maybe the maybe the checkers have done it. I'm not sure, but you know, on the way well, I mean, but. Checkers and Falcons, obviously, trying to um, get out and about as much of the country as well. And over the last weekend, the, the Hercules and the Orions and, and the 109s, the 90s, they were out and about as well. Yes. And yeah, going as far as we could. In fact, we actually coordinated with the other units who was going to go where. And, and the heritage flight going to Christchurch and back, that was represented about as far as we can go. So that was that was max range for us. And, yeah. And obviously, we'd love to have gone further south, in particular um, down the Ashburton. That was a very important base for us yeah. during the Second World War. But um, we're we're literally planning it down to the last minute or so of, of the extra fuel. Right. And so, um, which is the which is the most limited on fuel? Would that be the Spitfire? No, it's not actually. So it's the Texan. Oh, really? So the the, the Spitfire has uh, wing tanks. Uh, yeah, of um, instead of guns. The, uh, um, yeah, so the Spitfire Vickers made two seat versions of it after the war for the Irish Air Corps. Yeah. And because they reduced the fuel capacity in the fuselage tank, they designed a, a wing fuel tank. And so um, the Biggin Hill Trust Spitfire has that that mod. Right. So um, the Spitfire is okay, and the Avenger, I think, can take. That's a that's a flying petrol station that thing. So yeah, yeah, um, they had plenty in it. But the formation's operating at 180 knots, 
um, which is comfortable for the Avenger mainly. Yeah. Um, but for the Texan, that's that's quite slow to, yeah. for an efficiency standpoint. The Texan's um, most efficient at about 240 knots. So for that reason, the distance we can go um, is is reduced with the Texan. So when we went down to Christchurch, that was a two-hour flight. And that's the longest flight I've ever done in the Texan at lower levels. I think I've done a 2.2 on a test flight, but that was up around 30,000 feet for a lot of it. So. Okay. Um, yes, it's the Texan. Surprising. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, in the future, there's, uh, you know, always the possibility that you'll go down, refuel, and go further south and, and visit these towns mm -hmm. down further and you know maybe get to time yeah in particular um for air shows down there we yeah when the flight goes somewhere now uh, we don't want to just transit we want to do fly past so you can imagine the next time warbirds over wanaka rolls around we're not just going to transit down there we'll try and hit as many different spots as we could yeah and the west coast was another area on the weekend where we really looked hard at whether we could do it or not and we, we just couldn't make it work we looked at various different creative ideas to get there yeah um, including splitting the formation up and um, some go high level, some go low level and, and we'll meet up somewhere. But it's just got um, too hard, unfortunately. So um, we, we really appreciate the fact that the people who didn't get to see us um, were disappointed. And, and yeah, we, we see those comments and, and, and we're, we're trying. Yeah. I mean, this is only the beginning, isn't it? So Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we know that, uh, the concept works. Um, and so this weekend on Saturday, um, 9 April, we're going to Auckland and back. And yeah. That, that route went out on our Facebook page as well. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to that because you're coming coming to Cambridge, hopefully, as long as the yep. weather, weather holds out. Yep. So. Yeah, the turn point, Dave place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that, um, that flight to Christchurch, one thing I was wondering is, were you guys in formation the entire way? Yeah. Yeah, we weren't necessarily in, in tight formation. Yeah. Um, sometimes, in particular down the east coast of the South Island, um, we would relax a little bit, um, but still the same box formation, just spread a little bit. Just so we can yeah. yeah. Try and stretch the head the other way. <laughs> Two hours sitting with the head pointed one way, staring at someone is, um, gets a little bit sore after all. Yeah, I can imagine. But that's what I was thinking. It's a, it, it's a long flight to be in close formation, so I was thinking you must loosen off a bit. But, yeah, uh, but the, the Avenger is so stable. It's like driving a mini next to a bus. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it just sits there. So as far as formation flying goes, it's not too bad. It must be quite a, a a really cool formation to be flying into when you look out of your your Texan that you're flying yeah. and and you've seen the Avenger and the Spitfire next to you. Yeah, yeah. You look out the window and you just think, wow. And and in particular, the Spitfire, you see it on the ground, you see it at, at air shows, and it looks amazing. Yeah. The first time that you're flying an aeroplane and you see this thing turn in on you to to join up the formation. And suddenly it's it's a real thing. And, you know, you're looking down, looking at these cannons, and you're far out that it's a weapon of war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a beautiful machine. It's amazing. But they didn't design it to look good. No, you, you're right. And, you know, I, 
I remember being at uh, an air show, uh, Classic Fighters air show a few years back, and I had an airside pass, and I was actually doing some filming amongst the uh, aircraft that were all parked up. And it was just before the evening show, and, and uh, uh, Keith Skilling was in the Spitfire, and he came he came basically diving in. I looked up. I wish I'd turned the camera on. I was just staring in amazement because he was coming straight at me, you know, and he was aiming straight at me. And I was thinking, man, this is what it feels like to be on the receiving end of one of these. I mean, you don't get that feeling yeah. when you're in the crowd. It's a, it's a whole no. different thing. Um, yeah. yeah it, 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 well. it was, um, it's interesting because even in the Texan with the noise of your own engine, the pressurized cockpit, the, the helmet, the earplugs, um, everything. You can still clearly hear the Avenger and the Spitfire, but especially the Avenger. Wow! And um, the um, just the, the throb coming out of the Avenger and the growl from the Spitfire, and you, even to the point where when we were coming north again, we got to Hannah Springs and we flew over Hannah, and then the Avenger increased the power settings to get up and over the ranges, and, yep. and you could tell when the when the throttle went full, you know, this because the noise increased. <laughs> so you can you can almost get a sense of what lead's doing just by the by the racket that they're making. Yeah, it's, it's it's a nice racket. It sounds good. <laughs> That's the one thing I did notice on all the videos I saw of the flight is you could definitely hear the Avenger over everything else. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. And I don't and think I, people are disappointed to not be able to hear the Texan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Avenger sounds amazing. It, it's, great. it's great. Well, yeah, it, it's great to have that noise in the flight because people we don't even know anything about it, they're going to hear it and look up and go wow look at that you know <laughs> yeah it's hard to miss 45 litres of engine flying past <laughs> yeah. yeah so um uh, as i said earlier i followed the flight uh on flight radar and the call sign was txn gld which i guess is texan gold um yep and uh Will, will that be the same on Saturday, and will that be the same call sign through? No, it, it will be on Saturday. So that's um, when we are taking off at the moment. We because of, every aircraft has different requirements on the ground, and in particular the Spitfire has very limited time on the ground with its cooling. But at a hark here, especially the Avenger and Spitfire depart from one end side of the airfield, and the Texans depart from the other. So we're actually getting airborne as two separate formations. So the Texans are getting airborne as Texan gold, and then we join up on the Avenger and become heritage. So at the moment, uh, we'll be um, holding on to the Texan gold call sign um, and flight ID. Uh, in the future, we hope to change that to heritage. Because okay. once we're formed up, we're heritage one, two, three, four. Okay, yeah. But, yeah. Um, so it, just to help with the facilitation at the moment, the Texans are getting everyone as Texan gold or Texan silver. You know, if, if gold's already out and about on that day, then then we become Texan silver okay. and bronze. It's just the way it is at the moment. Cool. In fact, there's one flying over right now. <laughs> um. So let's um talk about the team. Who who's in it apart from yourself? Uh, I know the Avengers flying by Jim Rankin. Yep, the, um, Jim Rankin's flying the Avenger. Um, and there's myself and the Texan, and we've got Paul Stockley and the other Texan, and Sean Perrett and the Spitfire. And uh, it's a team. We, we actually have a, um, a formation demonstration routine. 
So we're, um, that formation that people have been seeing doing fly pass uh, over last weekend and this weekend coming. Yeah. Um, we've, we've actually worked up a display routine. So it's, um, it's that formation you've seen plus line of stern plus uh, individual aerobatic displays. Um, it's about a 10 minute routine. We've got stuff going in front of the crowd the whole time, plenty of noise, plenty of metal. Um, but we the air shows got cancelled this year. So we, we were hoping to really roll that out at Warbirds over Wanaka. Um, but we don't unfortunately have that opportunity now, so hence uh, more fly past. So uh, what people are seeing is not just the collection of aircraft, it's actually the Air Force Heritage Flight Display Team, which is fantastic. Um, fantastic. It's, uh, that's, that's a heap of fun doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, the... the uh... There's that you've got that team, but um, obviously this We're year, also, sorry. Uh, um, so uh, the heritage flight as a whole, we, we've also got Stu Anderson in there as well, and he's um, he's looking after the Tiger Moth at the stage, which unfortunately we don't have Tiger right. Moth right. flying for him. But, uh, he's an important member of the team as well, and we've got him flying the harbour too to keep his skills up. Right. Obviously, he's a he's a very experienced warbird pilot in his own right, and very important to the to the team, and, and you're going to see more and more of Stu um, in the next couple of years. Excellent. And that's therein lies what what the Tiger Moth's doing. You know, that's that's building the pool of pilots within the Air Force that we can then um, identify to move on to the the operationally relevant stuff. And those pilots need to remain proficient in the harbour because the Air Force doesn't even operate an aircraft with a piston engine at the moment. Uh, anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you add heavy piston tail drag and the skill set is just completely different. So we can't in the future just identify someone, a, a Texan pilot and say, oh, congratulations, you're now flying a hover. So we, we need to have the ability to build a, a pool of people that we can do that with. And, and so that's the, the Tiger Moth, as, which is now back to how it was, right? You get that initial experience in Tiger Moth and then you move on to the Harvard and then you go and fly the Avenger or the, um, the Spitfire and whatnot. Yeah, so yeah. It's quite neat that we're um, doing it again now. But within all of the aircraft, so we've got the, at the moment, we've got the Avenger, the Spitfire, the Harvard and Tiger Moth. But with the, the um, even though the Avenger and the Spitfire are the, the purpose, the reason for, the heritage flight, the Harvard is actually the critical aircraft because through that, that's how the pilots of the Avenger and Spitfire, that's how they maintain their proficiency. So the, the hours are so limited in the Spitfire, for example, yeah. that it'd be a bit irresponsible um, for the RNZF to say, right, you're going to go fly an air show routine and an aeroplane that you've hardly flown this year. It's, we're not, you know, there's not many hours available. So we maintain the proficiency on the Harvard. So that's that's the critical aircraft for us. And we're very lucky at the moment that Rex Brereton is um, letting us uh, use his, his aircraft, 76. And Rex is part of the furniture at Ahaki. He was a controller here for 40 years. He, he retired just over a year ago. Yeah. And his aircraft is his Harvard is, is amazing. It's it's as it left 
beautiful. She hasn't repainted it, but it's looked after it really well. So when you fly this machine, you're sitting in exactly how it was. It's, it's, a, it's a very nice hardware, that one. That, that's absolute heritage in itself, isn't it? Just that aircraft. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's a good one, that one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you say he, he's uh, letting you use his at the moment because you would normally be using uh, 1015, that's out. And then after that, you've been using Brendan Dare's 1037, but that's out at the moment as well. Yeah, uh, Biggin Hill Trust aircraft, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, the the aircraft engine was um, getting towards the end of its life, and uh, we were using it knowing um, the the engine on condition, and we were monitoring as you do with an aircraft engine, and nothing in particular happened. Yeah. But the the engine just just started to say, you know, you know what, guys, probably probably time, I reckon. Yeah. So we we made the decision early. Uh, the Big and Hill Trust made the decision early that. Um, Time time was up, so that uh, engine heading, headed off to um, United States. Right. Um, but it's probably a good chance to talk about that relationship with um, the likes of Rex Burton and Biggin Hill Trust and the Air Force Heritage flight. So the Air Force doesn't operate these aircraft. So the RNZF is entering a contract with Biggin Hill Trust and, and Rex Burton for Heritage Aviation Services. So um, the Biggin Hill Trust, for example, is the operator of the aircraft and they are responsible for all things that an operator is. And the aircraft uh, operated 100% in accordance with civil aviation rules and the Air Force pilots that fly the, the aircraft are doing so as pilots of the Biggin Hill Trust. Yeah. So, um, it's it's an interesting dynamic, but one that's working really well so far. The Air Force um, will say, well, we've identified this pilot. We'd like them to be involved in the heritage flight. The Air Force then takes that pilot to the operator, Rex Burton or the Wigan Hill Trust, and says, we would like this pilot. Um, what do you think? And the Wigan Hill Trust can say, yeah, great, or no, no, we, uh, we don't want that, which um, doesn't happen. Yeah. Yep. Um, then all of the training, all of the procedures, the supervision, and all that is is up to the Biggin Hill Trust or, or Rex Burton. And the reason for that gets back to the fact that the Air Force doesn't operate any aircraft that's anything like these heritage aircraft. And so the RNZAF doesn't have the expertise, the technical or operational expertise, to provide supervision for this type of flying. And that expertise is in the external center um, sector with the likes of the Boone Hill Trust. Yeah. So we're contracting them to provide that service to us. It's a terrific arrangement. It's it's neat that you've been able to work out how to do this and mm. um, well yeah. it's pretty standard. It's it's the way the civil aviation rules are written. You know, yeah. Mum and dad invested by a Cessna, they then register it with the local air club and the local air club is the operator. So you know with the, specifically with Harvard one five or the Tiger Six Two, the NZDF retains title to the to the aircraft, but yeah, you know they'll be registered with the operator. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about the the aircraft that you won't be flying because there was a lot of questions come up on the forum and yeah. Facebook stuff about, oh, what about the helicopters? What about the Devon? All that. What what's the story with the ones that used to be part of the 
the collection of the historic flight. Um, well, the thing to realise is everyone in the heritage flight are aviation nuts. We, we love these aeroplanes. You know, this is this is what we like to do uh, on our weekends and our spare times. So we're a fan of all these aircraft. Um, obviously, we need to concentrate on the operationally relevant aircraft, the ones that we were talking about before, yeah. uh, and the aircraft that will enable that, which is your Tiger Moth in the harbour. So with the likes of the, the Devon, great aeroplane. I've flown it, love it. Others in the flight have flown them as well. Really nice aeroplane. But it doesn't fit the bill with what we're what we're um, trying to do with with the heritage flight, and of course, like everything, we've we've got our um, our funds, and we need to devote that to to the mission that, that we're doing. So, unfortunately, that means that um, the likes of the Devon is is not going to be flying with with heritage flight. Yeah. Uh, hence, why we um, the, the RNZF actually just recently disposed of, of the Devon aircraft. We have retained a suit. Uh, we've, we've got one. We've got um, Sue and, and the spare parts. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're carefully storing it at the moment, um, and that was just to give any future chief of air force the the option if, yeah. if they choose to. It's, it will be a slight side line um, from the heritage flight mission at, at the moment. But, um, we don't have any intent on flying the Sue anytime soon, but we've kept one. And you don't have an Iroquois. Um, no. no, the Iroquois that's at, uh, in the Biggin Hill Trust hangar that belongs to the Air Force Museum of New Zealand, as does yeah. the Devon, actually. Yeah. yeah. And the Mackie that belongs to Warrior the Flying Tigers. Yes, that's that's exactly what I was going to say, too, because lots of people were saying, oh, are they going to fly the Mackie? Well, no, <laughs> it doesn't even belong yeah, to them. It. I mean, it's, it's not. It's like flying a, a magic carpet. <laughs> yeah. But again, it doesn't fit the bill. And it's not us. Yeah, exactly. So um, the other question that came up too was the other Harvards that uh, have been stored ever since 1970s with the, mm -hmm. the old historic flight, are they yeah. still with the heritage flight? Yeah, uh, yeah, because we, um, part of the decision to just, let's just look after Harvard 1-5, get the flight going, and then we address what we're going to do with 1-5. With yeah. Is that if we choose to fly Harvard 1-5 again, then we still need those other two aircraft for the spares, like they have been doing um, since the late 80s when we set this thing up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so all those people who think they're going to buy a cheap Harvard, they can wait. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, 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 the Harvard and the spares there, that's a... Uh, Provide some longevity for us, unfortunately, for, yeah. for those that want to buy them. Yeah. <laughs> so you also did mention, you know, when you're saying what the the, the core um, future is for the, the Heritage Flight, you also mentioned the Kitty Hawk and the Corsairs. So down the track, are you hoping that this might be a possibility of adding more fighters to the... So they're, they're an example of um, probably the, the pinnacle of, of the aircraft that represent what we're about. I mean, the, the Kitty Hawk and the Corsair, they were the, they were the ones that, um, from the fighter side, were yep. doing the job in the Pacific. And we're extremely yep. lucky to have the, the Avenger, which was also operating up there at the time. So we don't have any specific plans for those two aircraft. But um, what you're seeing at the moment is 
the start of the heritage flight. That's how we've got, got the thing going. Um, we are not saying that we're going to, um, that the makeup now will be the makeup for um, the next 10, 20 years. Yeah. We're going to have a, an open tender board uh, that should be set up um, within the next year. And um, operators in New Zealand that um, feel they have an aircraft that fits the bill and is, represents our operational military heritage can provide us their, their tender um, with the aircraft. And then um, we, that gives us the ability to select the aircraft that um, best represent what we want from the heritage flight uh, at any given time. So whilst I mentioned that the course there in Kiligawk, we, we don't have anything planned in the short term. That, that's, that's a representation of uh, what the flight is. It's a descriptor for yep. what we're describing for the, for the flight. Yeah, I just thought that that had better be addressed because people will start asking the question. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if someone wants to get us a Corsair and a Kitty Hawk, <laughs> right? Yeah. Give me a ring. Well, if you're, going we, that, um, if you're going that far, you might as well get a Ventura as well. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? it would. Um, we, um, we have to um, say that, that um, the RNZAF and New Zealand has done very well out of the Beacon Hill Trust. What what they're doing, what they've done, and what they're doing is is amazing. So yes. um, yeah, the RNZF feels very privileged to be able to enter an agreement uh, with them to um, to do what we're doing. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, we we're very respectful of that, and and that uh, I'd imagine that that, that relationship is going to continue for some time in the future. Of course, with that too, um, we've on the horizon, probably not too far away, actually, the way that they're, they're working on it is the Mustang is uh, yep. going to be flying soon. And so we may see that flying with the Texans Maybe. and Avengers. Yeah. I mean, the RNZF never operated those uh, operationally, flew them operationally. Amazing airplane, though. One of those flies past, certainly get people's attention. So it fits the yeah. bill like that. Yeah. Um, look, we'll, we'll just have to um, sit down with the Big and Hill Trust and, and and closer to the time, and we'll talk about it. Yeah. I'm not saying the way. You say the RNZF never flew them operationally, as in going to a war, but of course, the Kiwis did fly them in World War Two. RNZF members in, in RAF yep. squadrons, and and even in yep. uh, US squadrons. with the Americans as well. Yeah. Yep. So yep. absolutely. So it's, it's it, definitely a part of our military aviation heritage. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's amazing, it's exciting, and and what you've managed to pull together the the team is is fantastic, and I I just can't I can't uh, say more than that because it's just brilliant. I was going to say too, uh, the current pilots uh, they're all um, quite experienced instructors. You you're all instructors mm -hmm. at the moment. This is this isn't your full time job. This is just the sideline to what you do as instructors with. Uh, 14 Squadron and, and uh, CFS, Central Flying School. And yep. have you got any 42 Squadron instructors among you as well at the moment? Oh, of course, Jim Rankin, who's yep. 42 Squadron at the moment. Yep. So the, the Air Force Heritage Flight is administered by the Central Flying School. Um, and we need uh, pilots who have, uh, who are or have been Central Flying School ACAP flying instructors uh, because it's through that that the um the display flying qualifications and experiences um are assured 
And I'm not sure if you're aware, but the RNZF doesn't do the Lawson competition with all of its flying instructor students anymore. So at the end of each flying instructor course, the um, students used to do a low-level aerobatics routine over here to Hake. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. The high performance of the Texan um, warrants that people who go out and do low-level display aerobatics are identified and worked up individually. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the one group of pilots who all have um, display flying qualifications and experience uh, is uh, the Central Flying School instructors. Right. So hence why um, that's why we're channeling through there. But that's an interesting point you raised that um, back in the day, the historic flight was traditionally just if you're at CFS, you could fly for historic flight. Well, now that's not the case. As long as you've got that um, CFS and um, display flying experience, you could now be at three squadron flying in NH90. And if you fit the bill, welcome aboard. Come on to the heritage flight. But we really want those people that are um, enthusiasts. You know, yes. This, this is pretty special. It's, it's not something that you do as a right of posting. And this is something that we want people who are enthusiastic about and that are committed, which is not hard when you say to someone, you know, would you like to fly this amazing machine? Most people yeah. are pretty enthusiastic about that. Yeah, I'm sure. Especially when it's on the base there and everybody see these things operate in the they must all think, God, I'd love to fly that one day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the house retention, great. Yeah. I mean, I, I know for myself, I, I pinch myself every time I get get into the Harvard in particular and just think, how, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go anywhere because I love it so much. So it's keeping me motivated. It's keeping me um, in the RNZ, which yeah, it's a great job anyway. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, the entire RNZ fleet, is either brand new or it's um, about to be uh, brand new with the likes of the C-130J and the P-8. So gone are the days when our equipment was was old and uh, out of date. Our stuff is, is up to date. Even the Orions that they're retiring now, that's that's an amazing machine. The stuff that they've got down the back of that machine is, is world class. Yeah, yeah. The pay, fantastic. The, the pay got sorted out. Um, 2008, I think they, they really addressed that. Yeah, no complaints now with, with that for, um, yeah, for, for what we're doing. It's, um, it's good, it's, it's, it's not the, the, uh, the Air Force of all. No, exactly. Another, another good thing about this, too, is you know, bringing new pilots through uh, your system is bringing pilots into the warbird system as well because yep. there's the, the, you know there's a real sort of you look at the warbird operators now they're all getting older and there's not that many younger ones coming through because of the costs you know and if, people, if people can do it through the uh through the air force and get paid to do it then then yeah. they can move on to the air shows and you know fly stuff that way that's that's another benefit for everybody yeah, absolutely. I um my early vintage flying, you know, I was funding it, and it hurts. It's hard, yeah. and so yeah, you're absolutely right. And of course, the New Zealand Warbirds they administer our low level display authorization. So we we're flying these aircraft as as uh, under the civil rules. So um, yeah. the Air Force Heritage Flight has to work closely with the New Zealand Warbirds Association in, in particular. Yeah. 
exactly. Well, and of course, you guys, all of you pilots, um, have flown at air shows, uh, you know, warbirds air shows and all that sort of thing. Anyway, you're all part of the scene yeah. already, but uh, this is going to be a, a great way to sustain that and keep it coming through. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those groups I was talking about. This is how the RNZF shows its professionalism in the aviation community, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I have to say it's, um, you know, a big thank you and, and you know, awesome job to the hierarchy, the, the chief of Air Force and, and all the all those who actually saw what you guys were wanting to do and actually said, yeah, let's do this. Because, you know, at, at, at any given time in the Air Force's history, you could have a team at the top that just goes, goes no, this is going to be too expensive. So see you later. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, good on them for making this happen. Yeah, well, hopefully the engagement that we had even just from last weekend, you know, that um, that shows what an amazing tool we've got in the heritage flight. And I have to point out the, the current chief of Air Force, he, he he's a aviation enthusiast. You know, yes. we're talking about a guy that the ringtone on his phone is a Merlin engine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he gets it. Yeah, I've I've met Andrew Clark a few times, and yeah, he's a real enthusiast, awesome guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was lucky enough to um, fly with him both on the Orion, but more recently as well to uh, Ardmore and back in the Texan. We were formating on the Avenger, and we just spent the whole day chatting about old airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Mike. It's been great to talk to you and uh, and hear all about the the flight and. Um, I wish wish you well for the future, and I hope that Saturday okay. goes really well with the the um, northern excursion. You yeah, get to, you get a lot more people um, see you going north because you're going to be flying over Auckland, where's the biggest city in the country. So, and, yep. and Ham yep. Hamilton as well, and you know places like Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, you're going all the way up. Yeah, so, those places. Um, yeah, those places. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so all I can say is to the listeners to go to your um, Facebook page and uh, uh, you'll see the, the entire route on there and you've got the times and which street or beach you're going to be flying over at that place. So, which is yeah, which, yeah, we can do that now because, of course, when we went to Christchurch and back, um, vaccine passes were still in, in place. So we couldn't ah, tell yeah, people yeah. at this point. Because we couldn't control vaccine passes for the large crowd that was about yeah. to turn up. And even outside, with no vaccine pass, you still had the limits. So, yeah. Yeah. sorry for any confusion that um, that may have caused at the time, but we're doing what we can. Yeah. Also, I'll go through and um, if you're waiting somewhere for the flight, get on your phone, look up Flight Radar 24 and find the flight and see where they are because uh, mm. you'll see exactly where they're coming from, where, you know how long you've got before they get to your place so you won't miss them and um i know there was a bit of consternation on, on sunday because unfortunately with the weather you couldn't get over the hills to um no. wire wrapper and which is a shame because i know you were planning to mark the 80th anniversary of 14 squadron yeah um and that was interesting we tried several times to get across the ranges over to the wire wrapper but we just couldn't but then that put us um very early mm. coming into Wellington. We thought, well, we can hold here and um, then hit Wellington on time. But the problem was is that the um, east coast of the South Island had low cloud as well. So what was playing on our mind is 
we need any fuel that we can get in order to potentially have to turn around and divert back to Woodburn as we made our way down the east coast of the South Island. So look, we're sorry that we couldn't get to the wire wrapper at all. That was that was pretty clear. You know, the place was completely socked in with cloud. Yeah. Um, but look, we, we arrived at Wellington 10 minutes early as well. But um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, there was a lot of moving parts going on there. So we, yeah. we chose the actual fuel to give us the options later. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Aviation is always, uh, you know, things can change while you're in the air, and yeah. um, you know, so there's nothing that could be done about it. I know there's a few people complaining, but most people were. It happy was shows their enthusiasm, right? Yeah, it, yeah. That's right. They were. They went out to watch you, and that that shows how enthusiastic yeah. they are. So. Yeah. They were disappointed that some missed us when when we went over slightly early. It's good, yeah. You know, not good that we, we couldn't get there exactly on time because that's what we aim for. But you know, understand that um, we were grabbing the extra fuel so that we could potentially um, maximise the chance of actually finishing the mission as it was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we should probably uh, close it there, Mike. Thanks very much. Right. Thanks, Dave. Good chatting. Cheers. Cheers. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.